Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. RF Here Refugees podcast. Ted here, John here, uh, joined by a very, very special guest. Uh, the uh, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to call you people to me. You call you the Mel Kiper of MLS. I'm going to say Mel Kiper is the Travis Clark of the NFL. That is what I'm. That is what I'm going with today. That's, that's Travis, <laughs> I guess. Travis, welcome to the show, my friend. How you been? Uh, not too bad. Just you know, like a lot of people, I'm in a fortunate spot, but eager for, I guess, some semblance of normalcy. Hopefully, in 2021. But are you one of those people? Are you one of those people that? wouldn't normally mind being at your house so much and sort of being locked in. I know people like that. I am the opposite of that. I'm curious about where you, where you stand. I I would say a little column A, a little from column B. We, you know, we went out of town this weekend for a socially distant trip and that was very nice. It's a little bit different when you have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and you live in a townhouse. So sure. Um, we've been out, outdoors plenty. Love like playing soccer with my oldest and youngest kids. So that's fun. That's been fun. So silver linings and all that. I think you're trying to be positive. Before we get into the to the draft and to sort of you know the thing that the, <laughs> the thing you're known for, I want to get your quick <laughs> quick take on uh, on DC United's new hire of Hernan Lasada. I don't know if have you've had a chance to sort of read the read the interviews and do the same things we were, which was frantically googling Belgian soccer and reading the three articles about his tactics. What do you, what do you think about this move and what it says about sort of what DC wants to be going forward? Well, what DC wants to be, who the heck knows what that's actually going to be. I think it depends on how he's backed. You know, Dave Casper has been in his role since like I was 15 years old or however long it's been. It's a long time that Casper has been in his role. And not, not to drag the guy. It's just what's ownership going to do to support him, to support the new coach. And I think it's an, it's more interesting than an MLS retread. I was hoping for, you know, like a Gonzalo Pineda. I think that would have been unique or different just to give somebody new a shot and but i think this for all of the i guess poor optics that you couldn't work out deals with two other coaches although who knows exactly what happened there you you can't really know for right. sure uh, they came up with somebody that's not the most proven and will be a certain risk but at the same time might as well right like i think it's better than <laughs> right what better time what better time to take a risk when you are uh, a complete non-entity on the on the league spectrum and then also in your own city this is the you're playing with house money i think when you make a move like this so yeah and I, I think there's more more of a chance that this guy will build an attacking team you bring in a couple pieces or you figure out how to fashion the pieces that you already have and then you score goals, you play soccer you win games and i think people will come in dc as we as you guys know even though you don't really technically live as close to DC as I do. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't uh, question our bona fides. We live right outside of Audi. We actually live <laughs> right next to it. That's how real we are. Go ahead. DC, continue. Washington DC sports area and sports fans are like the most fair weather fans. Probably. Yep. I, I don't want to say in the country. I haven't lived in many places outside of the mid Atlantic region, but you know, you win games, people will come. We saw it when, you know, the DC was in the playoffs. They sold out Audi Field. You could sell that out pretty easy if you're playing a good game, good brand of soccer and winning games. And I think, and heck, maybe not even winning every single game, but no one in MLS does, obviously. But I think that what the guy, I, I, at least the coach talks in a big game. and He does. I think that it's certainly more exciting than previous hires, for sure. Although previous hires, what, Ben Olsen was a coach for the last 12 years, so... Yeah, he's got a he's got a, he knows that he has a runway. 
I think that he's got to feel he's got to feel somewhat confident, more confident here for his job security than probably other places. Well, and it's also, interesting that he felt compelled enough to take the job. And he did it in four team. days too. He got a phone call on a Monday, or I think it was like a Sunday, and four days later he had a he had an agreement. So that you know whether that whether that says about the Belgian league, whether that sells about MLS, whether that I don't know. It's interesting to, to read between the lines and all of these decisions. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it, you know, heck I'm more intrigued in in DC United with that higher than I would be with, with some of the other names that were out there, but uh, that is, you know, we're gonna have to wait and see what he actually does too. See, see, I'm, I'm worried that he, see, I, I feel like he entered with like with low expectations of the fans. And then he just gave two interviews where he's like, <laughs> oh yeah, we're going to, I'd rather win five, four than one zero. And I'm like, so every game is going to be like RSL DC, that six, four yes. crazy game. Um, if it's not that I'm going to be upset. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Listen, we're, we're for whatever moves gets Travis Clark reinterested in watching all these DC United games so that <laughs> so that he and I can talk about it. That's what that's what we like those coach moves. Uh, well that requires let's... a TV deal that it's easy to see as well. Well listen, I can only do so much. I can only do so much. Ted, let's get let's get into this. What's uh fourth you overall guys are, you pick guys are fired up for well, the draft, well, aren't you? Hell yeah. Listen, yeah. I've been I've been ca- I there's a guy named Mitch Guitar. I know about that and I want to make sure that we talk about him potentially. Well, well, well John, before before we get into before we get into the draft, I, I do want to talk a little bit, I guess sort of about the uh, the 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 college soccer season or lack thereof, and I maybe want to get Travis's thoughts. I mean, you're you're somebody who you know keeps up, pays attention, you know, looks at this stuff more uh, more than we do. Um, and, and I always like to say, you know, even I like last year, I knew who Daryl DK was because I watched the you know the the NCAA championship, so I knew you know he was decent. This draft, I know absolutely nobody. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I do. Guitar is thanks to your 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 co-host and who yeah. yep. carried away with the name. Yep. But but what would you say? I mean, what what do you think? If you had to guess, in sort of the we we talk about, we every year we always talk about what what you know where does the draft stand? Can you really you know is there still talent to be had? But you know, with a season that has sort of been kind of a lost season for a lot of players, what impact do you think that'll have on the draft? Is it going to be maybe you know maybe a player slips slower that you know no one really was paying attention to because they didn't get an opportunity or is, is it going to be, has it sort of even lessened the draft even more than it already has? Yeah. I think the, the way that it may lessen the draft is the uncertainty for the college players that have a chance to actually now play in a spring season. So the NCAA is playing to play a division one spring championship. It'll be a smaller field. And then a lot of programs have started announcing class uh, announcing schedules and just to kind of circle back to another part of your question, like they did, the ACC teams played like a very small, like I think, you know, as an example, Virginia played like seven games. There were a couple teams that played, you know, 11 or 12. And I think Duke played a bunch too, uh, you know. So for the ACC teams, for the handful of teams that did play, that was a little bit of a chance to showcase, for the players to showcase themselves. I think it's not a coincidence that four out of the five guys signed the two generation Adidas contracts. Uh, are from the ACC, the lone exception being a Pac-12 player. But I think there's more uncertainty. But I think at the same time, there are players, and I've seen enough from players in the past, to expect there be about a similar kind of contribution. I don't think that there's a guy like Daryl DK out there necessarily. And the other you know piece that is always hard to figure out is 
you know, three of the five signees to the Generation D's class, a number of top college players are international. So, you know, is a random MLS team going to take a chance on a 22-year-old, 23-year-old from England that played four years of college soccer, just as like a random example? So that's always it's a lot of these same questions, you know. There are good players out there because no coach is perfect at scouting. Some kids like school, develop well there, and really put the effort in to get better during summer. You know, there's a lot of talk always about how college seasons are so much shorter. So that's, and yeah, obviously that has a big impact, but players that really want to push themselves and are individually driven can still, you know, grow and develop as players. So, you know, there may be players out there that trained with an MLS team in the summer of 2019. And, you know, so that a name might be plucked out of a hat at, at some point, or, you know, maybe they played a spring game in the, the spring of 2020 before the pandemic shut everything down. Uh, you know, because I think like, you know, the Vancouver Whitecaps would play against the University of Washington as an example. So, you know, maybe we see a player that gets picked and, uh, but at the same time, for the guys that haven't played, you just, the organizations don't know a hundred percent what they're getting. They didn't know in a normal draft. And now it's like a huge question mark. Did, you know, did a player not take care of himself and put on 10 pounds? Obviously they'll be doing home. Some teams will be doing their homework. We'll be calling coaches and be like, Hey, are your, are your players fit? And then I think I'm being a little bit like drastic with the, those sort of kind of examples, but it's just like the uncertainty that you have looking at an MLS draft. It's like it's certainly exponentially more now because of the, the pandemic, because they didn't have competitive games last fall. I was going to ask you there, there's always an upsetting number of washouts, like first round washouts when you go back and look and there'll be a player that is just unattached after being drafted in the top 10. You're like, Jesus. Uh, you have to imagine that the the risk of that goes up without tape in the last see some of these players. Obviously, you said some of these some of these conferences had an opportunity to get out there and play competitive games, but like you gotta imagine that they were already treating most of these teams, even in the four slot, are treating these as sort of like flyers. You're like, well, this is like a this is a loot box. We'll see what we get. We'll open it up. Maybe it's something good, maybe it's not, and whatever. <laughs> Uh, I just is it a mystery box or is it a boat. Yeah, that's right. Right. I think, I think that the chances have to be higher this year, I would imagine. And, and uh, I, so I much think... so that the only, def- just as a, just as a, a perfect encapsulation of like where the, like the, the, the downward trajectory of the draft, as far as how the league takes it in the past, I remember all the, all the whole draft was televised. And then it was the first round was televised and the second two and third rounds were, were simulcast. Now it is the first round on MLSsoccer.com and then second and third round on a, on the, the tracker. Just you. So we've gone back to like 1999 internet as far as how we're going to track this. It's well, I, I do think that it should be the approach more because that was sort of becoming the, I don't want to say the hypocrisy because saying a draft is hypocritical is probably not the right word to use, but the development the dog and pony it, show. Yeah. Like making such a big deal out of something that was clearly not as big in soccer, right? Like, where you have your own academies, you have international market to go to, like that was a bit ridiculous to make it it to this big splashy event was just kind of like, it was trying to sell something that it was like the classic case of the snake oil salesman, right? It's like, Oh, Hey, look at this, this life-changing event. It's well, this player doesn't have a contract yet. (laughs) Only three guys are actually officially on a team. So that, that piece of it, I feel like is actually better, not like, oh, hey, the draft is on this, so it's bad, but that's more what it should be treated like because there is value in it for the team to do the work. But, you know, the Columbus crew, 
didn't win. You know, they they played, for example, like, you know, Aiden Morris started in MLS Cup and he was a homegrown signing as a rookie, right? He wasn't a draft. And, you know, part of it's the homegrown rules, the way rosters are put together for teams that have academies. Like, you're going to fill those supplemental roster spots with guys you think have potential that you can develop them when they, you know, 17, 18, like Jacob Green, for example, mm. you know, decided not to go to Maryland. And, you know, now, you know, Moses Nyman, Kevin Predes, Griffin Yao to keep it sort of a DC example. Like those guys were all signed at what, 16 years old. And that's just sort of the way the rosters are built. So would DC rather have, a, you know, a 22 year old German midfielder that can't run that played at Syracuse on Ooh. that spot? Ooh. <laughs> Fitness, the uh, who, there. A, later, a later fitness model uh, and player or, uh, in Calgary? Or do you go with the... Sorry, I didn't, I sh- I didn't mean to drag him, but... <laughs> he's, he's such a nice guy, I'm sure. Yeah, but the you know the example there being like, if, you're, if you have only a certain amount of these roster spots, part of it is like, that's part of the reason why the draft is also not as important because the way the roster rules are and, you know, and that's why for a team like Austin FC, for example, it's like, well they don't have an academy signing and if they do it's like a 14 year old which is kind of creepy but that player is not going to come into the team whereas like their number one pick they could actually have something out of dc united with a number four pick could get something out of it but at the same time you know their players a little bit lower and every so often you see one pop and you know the number 11 pick alistair johnson for example last year started a bunch of games at nashville for nashville so a lot of it also then depends on the team and what they need and when a player gets that chance, if they've come through the draft, do they take advantage of it or are they just going to wash out and sign with you at team's USL team and then get cut at the end of the year? So then it's right. like, Ooh, wah, wah. All, all I know is I will miss seeing Taylor Twelman play video package of Brandon Barklage or Jordan Gray or Craig Thompson and tell me about how they're going to, how they're going to make an impact for DC United. That's what I, I'm going to miss that <laughs> personally. Well, or, or when the player gets picked and then the people don't know who they are. So I've been, to, to a lot of these drafts, so I've, met, I've missed a lot of these moments because I was at the drafts live because a lot of them had been, you know, on the East Coast corridors of late. Yep. Ne- never forget, never forget Taylor Twelman uh, going off about how Nick Bailion was out of shape and, and and he thought he'd be a bust and didn't think he would amount to anything. And now he's look at him. He's playing for Toronto. Um. <laughs> I also I also very much enjoyed when uh, I think his name was Colin Bonner. I'm not right. Call, calling book. Yeah. Yeah. His, 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 his Instagram was raging Bonner and they showed it. So I, there are lots of things we're going to miss. I feel yes. like more so than the actual legitimate value of the draft, but it was, it was good TV. It was the best TV. Listen, MLS needs TV moments. And that was one. Yeah, well, of them. I guess that's the other side of the argument is that that's what they've been striving for. But how do you fashion TV moments out of players that, most fans have never heard of anyway so like that's the other piece of it it's like hey man these drafts of, of, of from the nfl nba where college football and college basketball people know who those players are they are big deals although ted do, did know who daryl dk was not many other people did so how do you then become a tv event if you don't know those players who are in the tv event to begin with you drive the fans to his home. That's what you do. That's what they did. That's the what Nashville t- did. The TV market is very segmented now, and they're going to put this on for 37 people on Twitter, I feel like, is really the audience. And if that's what it is, that's what it is. They don't, ratings don't matter anymore. They, they, they look, look, at the, look at their actual game ratings. They clearly, that's clearly it, not Hey, a, the MLS Super Draft went virtual before it was cool to go for, to have a virtual draft. So. That's true. <laughs> Pioneers. Ahead of their time. 
All right, so DC do have the fourth pick. So you you have talked about how there's there's a chance uh, that they could get somebody. Um, I, I I peruse. I actually found this just that on your uh, MLS mock draft, um, you have them taking uh, Josh Bauer. Is uh, I guess tell me I, I, he you you've already said you're going to pick him. So tell me a little bit about him. Maybe tell me about some other players that you think um, if they drop or if they're available, you could see DC taking. Yeah the the way I see it shaking out is Mayaka goes at one and that seems like Austin FC has one midfielder right now, one central midfielder. Philip Mayaka is the central midfielder and he's pretty good. Check so me. I'm like, well, that seems logical to me. So that that is a direction that the one number one pick, Calvin Harris, FC Cincinnati, all kinds of terrible, especially in the attack. He could be good. He's a winger. I think the the wild card for me is going to be three, what Houston does. And I hope, you know, I'm saying these, like, the first two picks will probably be wrong anyway. But the wild card is then, is, does Houston go for, like, an Ethan Bartlow center back, Generation Adidas signing from Washington? Uh, do they pick Danny Pereira, the Virginia Tech central midfielder? Uh, you know, I think the way you look at D.C. with Steve Birnbaum now sidelined for 8 to 12 weeks, you know, you're not going to find a starter. But, you know, whether it's Josh Bauer, whether it's Ethan Bartlow, they seem to me as, like, maybe not high ceiling players, but low floor, like we're talking, or not high floor. That's what I want. High mm-hmm. floor where, you know, probably an MLS roster guy for a few years, if things work out, you know, like I think each could be a Steve Birdbaum esque like deep careers, even if they're not at DC, but where they're, you know, the solid MLS guys, not going to get a six figure transfer offer from European clubs or be us national team players, but reliable players that can kind of defend an MLS, which isn't, the that that's not slightly on those it's just the the golf between you know a three or four year college player and a 20 million dollar attacker is going to be kind so, of significant so you're <laughs> seeing so you're seeing this is the the high the high end is more of a burn bomb rather than like an ethan white if we're if we're talking about like dc dc drafty defenders players players that will will stick around for a little bit and wash out probably versus burn bomb who is you know captain the team and been here for a long i would say that's yeah. a win yeah, and I think, you know, again, you never know with these guys, but they both seem, you know, they're they're good enough defenders, they're good enough with the ball at their feet, and they can continue to grow and excel and develop. And, they you know, from what all, all, all I know about them is they uh, want to be pros and want to be good. So, you know, they'll, they'll put in the work. Again, but I think if you're looking to the verge, maybe the Brett Halsey kid who could play right back if DC goes that direction, that wouldn't be a huge surprise. I don't know. Like, you know, we just talked about the, the homegrown players and I I don't know what the roster setup is with the off budget players, you know, but if a generation Adidas pick is there, you could even throw in Danny Pereira, who's a kind of like a playmaking deep lying midfielder. Doesn't do like, kind of a, a little bit like Frankie Amaya. I think he moves a little bit better than him, but he's a good passer, can make stuff happen with the ball, is less effective without it. He's not really like a, you know, fight tooth and nail, win a ball in central midfielder, make stuff happen. But he's, he's, a, good, he's a good player, good story. He uh, came to the U.S. He's an asylum seeker from Venezuela that basically came to the Southwest Virginia and dominated high school soccer from day one, got recruited by Virginia Tech, and it's now two years on, has gone into MLS. So his, his sort of 
you know, story is good and, and he, you know, he's a good player as well. So I think any of those guys are available. I don't know if TC would be like, well, we need this defender. So we definitely got to get a defender. That's just what I'm going with in my mock drafts. But uh, usually at the higher points of the draft, you're thinking teams will look towards that generation of Adidas flexibility. And, um, you know, sometimes it's neat. Sometimes it's just like best player available, but with DC, their need is pretty clear. And at that point, Bartlow or Bauer for me, could be good options. You know, now there are other center center backs out there. Maybe Nabi Kabunchi from UC Davis, who I'm, whose name is a six foot six defender from Kentucky, Aimbabika. Those guys have a, a little bit less certainty about them. But again, there's a lot of decent college center backs who have had good careers. Who I'm I'm just curious to see how it shakes out. Do they stick? Do they? And that's talking a little bit further down the draft. But I feel like Bauer or Bartlow for me feel like as sure a thing as you can have in an MLS draft. And, and we saw the team take, you know, um, you know, it seemed to be, it's almost like their draft strategy has shifted a little bit. It used to be, it was like always they took best available regardless of need. They took, you know, I think Perry kitchen when they had several, you know, central defender defending players. Um, now it's almost like shifted a little bit. Not sure how I feel about having a Hokie on, on DC United considering I grew up watching UVA, but you know, if he's good, I'll, I, I maybe I can get over it. What do you, uh, you, you may, you may, you probably have a better read on this having sort of seen, maybe seen him in the academy setup or maybe in the, I don't know if he was in the youth national team setup, but Michael Edwards, uh, there's a lot of conversation about him potentially coming back over, uh, and signing with DC United. I don't know where that actually is or how close that is, but considering that they're looking for bodies still, um, yeah, would- I, I think that he's certainly somebody that would have, it's hard to say. I haven't seen him play in probably a year and change. I watched a little bit of his, his games at uh, Wolfsburg too. I think he was, and he has some really good moments. He showed some promise and understand, you know, I'm sure he's probably a little bit homesick. I don't know if you guys know a lot about Wolfsburg, but you know, you're in the middle of nowhere in Germany where the Volkswagen headquarters are. So um, for a guy coming from the North Virginia area, that's probably been a bit challenging for him. But he's I from Woodbridge, so he's used to being sort of away from the, the action. I can say that. I'm allowed to say that. So the it's hard to really say. I think I almost want to come out and say I feel like I feel better about Bauer and Bartlow, but I think Edwards is a good profile as well. He's a young guy, can come in. If you don't mind blooding your center backs a little bit, but you know, if DC for example, if that deal is far along as we're talking it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make as much sense to me to go definitely a center back at the draft. Cause Edwards is, a, you know, he's a similar, he's almost like a generation Adidas signee who has, you'd probably say better experience. I'd say I'm, I'm amending my, he's definitely has better experience being in Germany, playing in that culture, higher level trainings than, uh, you know, no disrespect to UW or New Hampshire where each player played, but um, you'd have to think that, competing for the whatever fourth division Bundesliga is a little bit it's going to have you a, a little bit further along than you'd think uh, but the thing is they they shut that down over the past I think few months they started it up and then shut it down and I haven't been able to see any of his games from the past um from this recent fall so I can't what, really uh, think where he is fourth division what streaming platform are you uh inter- uh subscribed to to watch that is that a is that a fubo thing is that a vpn into no, there are scouting uh, platforms for soccer. Ah. I have something called Instat, so you can it, it spits out data and you can watch player clips from, you know, 
just like individual highlights that are cobbled together, you know, spits out things, you know, some statistical analysis of players. And that's a lot of what I see. So I, I can pass that along to you if you're cu- curious what Michael Edwards' profile looks I like. Am, I am curious, particularly if, he, if we hear a little bit more about him. I have one more question for you about uh, a draft pick from last year. Um, Simon Lefebvre is gone from Loudoun and now plays for Louisville. And here's my question. Tell me if this was your read. So DC United maintains his MLS rights. He was playing for Loudoun and facing 7,000 shots approximately per game, <laughs> setting USL records for saves in a game because, again, he was facing 1,000 shots. It seemed like he was like, you need to get me out of here. Like, as a, as a, as a goalie, I am, not, I am not served by being – like, that doesn't make my career better. I just don't need more opportunities to get saves. Like, it, it's also good to play on teams that aren't garbage. Like, do you think that's why – do you think that's why that happened? I, I'm trying to figure out – for a team that in, until John Kempen was traded, didn't have a third goalie. It seemed like it was a cheap option to keep him around, but then he was gone. Yeah. I, don't, I honestly don't, I can't speak to the exact situation. It's what it, he did sign Louisville, right though. That's like a pretty yeah, it's good a step program. Up. So, Hey, it's like the, it's like when you see the player, the goalkeeper for the lower division, like the lower status team, they look so good because they're bombarded. That gets them a move to a bigger club. And, there you go so it worked out for him if louisville ever joins mls then dc united can hold them hostage and say a million fake don garber bucks (laughs) for his rights and boom it was that was a a chess move nine pieces ahead when they did that i'm sure yeah that's an interesting because when ted was saying dc goes best player available it's like well was this temple goalkeeper who's also french so he requires an international spot really the best player available and then he didn't sign for the team at all ever but, well, he was like almost seven feet tall, which they were, they were, they had to be feeling that just for Nick, just for excitement, just for the, maybe they can bring him on in on loan now that Bill Hamid's out for there you go. Eight weeks. It's all, it's all connected. <laughs> all connected. Eight, eight D chess. Yep. Yep. Let's uh, I, w- I want to shift gears a little bit and, and talk a little bit about the NWSL draft that took place. Uh, we do, we do try to, to cover the spirit. Um, let's start. Uh, it seemed like uh, uh, certainly the spirit that, first of all, let's talk about the spirit taking, what is it? Uh, four forwards and one goalkeeper. So basically, uh, I guess uh, maybe uh, uh, Richie Burke was getting a little bit ahead and like, well, this new DC coach is going to come in and score five four. Where I'm going to play like ten forwards and a goalkeeper and see what he thinks about that. And Kelly O'Hara and Emily Sonnet probably too because they'll probably have to play. Um, but uh, let's talk first about about the number two pick, which was which was which was uh, an, an interesting pick. Um, Trinity Rodman, uh, 18 years old, uh, played one year and uh, signed, I guess, uh, committed to one year in college, didn't play, and then decided to go pro. What what are your what are your thoughts on her? Is she? Uh, do you think she's going to surprise us this season, or is it more of this is more of a project maybe for two three years down the road? It's, it's really hard to say be with the NWSL and it doesn't have the same sort of like track record as MLS in terms of player development. And we saw, you know, the last player to come in, in a similar situation, Mallory Pugh, you have somebody who wasn't quite able to live up to a potential. Now I think Rodman has a little bit more of a clear role. Like she could play an out and out nine, whereas Pugh is more of like a winger though. Rodman can play, I would say if the spirit in a four, three, three, Four two three one. She could definitely play out on the wing. It's, you know, like like we were talking about on the men's side of things. It's also super hard to know where Rodman is. Like how sharp and fit has she been? What has she been doing to stay, you know, dialed in and ready to go? So I think that 
I've seen a lot of her as a player, but like at the club level, you know, she dominated the CONCACAF under 20s, but like the Americans were far and away the best team there. I think that if you get a five to seven goal return from her as a rookie, that would be a surprise just because, you know, players coming into the league from college have a hard time and the league doesn't have a huge track record of taking players who are teenagers on the women's side of things and, you know, turning them not turning them, but like, you know, providing that platform for success. And I think, you know, even the established forwards we see come into the league from college and either take a couple, a year or two rare, rare is it for like the, you know, there are obviously except exceptions. You had, uh, I think Bethany Balser in 2019, where she came from a random NAIA, NAIA score school, scored a bunch of goals and was the rookie of the year, you know, and then Robin is, much younger, you know, a few years younger than that. She's definitely a project, but I thought it was a good pick. It's more fun than, you know, picking the, you know, player from UNC who may or may not be as good as people think because she went to UNC. And that's not the disrespect, but I think that, uh, again, attacking, fun, goals. That's why people come watch soccer games. And if Rodman can continue to develop, she has a lot of tools and, you know, she's another player. I actually saw first play in Richmond, Virginia, head right by you. So, uh, I, I think it'll, it's, it's going to be fascinating regardless of what happens and not, not because her name is Rodman. I think she's a good soccer player. Like you take her name out of it. She should be, you know, she's an up and coming player and like she should definitely stand alone. Like if, if what I'm saying, it makes sense. Like she should be viewed as just a really good forward prospect. Not like, Oh, Hey, her last name's Rodman. She's dinner with Rodman's daughter. So of course I got to pay attention, but you know, she's an up and coming player on the U S youth national team scene. So can the spirit do what they, help her in the ways that they, I guess, were not able to help Mallory Pugh. It, it almost does seem like she got a chip. She has a chip on her shoulder. You know, when she gets asked that question, she almost kind of like, I think. Well, I, I'm sure there. she's heard it her whole life. Right. Yeah. So, and then this is her, you know, big day. And she's like, well, you're Dennis Rodman's kid. Cool. You should just hold up a sign anytime that she's on a zoom interview, like in the corner, like, listen, I know you're going to ask. <laughs> well, I think what, what's interesting is from what I haven't looked into her. I know she has a brother and she's a much better soccer prospect than her brother is a basketball prospect. And I haven't really read a whole lot about him, but he is not one of the top prospects in his class. And she was our number one prospect. So, uh, but again, like I think the bottom line is it's, it's a wait and see because she could come to camp and like be ready to go and kill it, start playing. But, and I had the, um, what was it? The Ford line of Sanchez and, Rod and actually Sanchez, Rodman, Hatch, and their other pick. Hatch needs to be pushed. I, I've, we've been saying it for the last year as far as end product goes. So I feel like if there's an actual threat to to be scored, you said five seven goals as a, as a, as like a high end op, you know, like a optimistic case. That would be good. That would be more than that yeah, would be. Maybe that's even too optimistic because that would be like rookie of the year territory. And it's it's rare. Like I said, it's rare we see even like the four year established players come in and do well. Ashley Sanchez you know, had her ups and downs after three yep. years of college. And she's a little bit of a different, like Robin from, at least when I saw her last, she strikes me as somebody who can, like the NWSL is a lot about physicality and athleticism. And I think Robin is closer to there than Sanchez was, but, you know, I think what, what she's able to do sooner rather than later will be definitely even more than they may have expected because, you know, at the end of the day, you have to have a longer term view with a player like that as well, even if you're hoping for more sooner rather than later. 
It's pretty pretty incredible that also that Richie Burks, uh, if you had told me at the beginning of the year, oh, by the way, there's going to be no more Mallory Pugh, no more Rose Lavelle, I would have said, oh, dear Lord, this team is in trouble. And uh, I think it's it's pretty incredible he's managed to, to sort of keep a squad together. And and and, and this team, I think, is uh, maybe one of the, I think, goes in maybe as one of the dark horses in NWSL. So. I'm a huge Emily Sonnet fan, yeah. uh, dating back to her days at Virginia where she played like Beckham Bauer. So uh, I, have to, I have all the time in the world for that. The defense is stout. I think that if you look at the roster, that you can't you can't deny that at all. I think we're, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of moves. There was a lot of moves bringing in some players uh, to sort of shore up the attack a little bit. Now all these a lot of these are draft players, so we'll see how it all. I think well, the, 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 the other st- thing about actually mentioned about the NWSL draft is a lot of the players, more so on the women's side, as we're talking about the NCAA having championships. A lot of players have been like, "Oh, great, I got picked. Well, I'm going to go back to school for not just this spring." But also the fall. So, is it a draft and follow situation? Do you do you maintain yeah. over past the year? Or? Yeah, I don't know if you maintain the rights. But for example, Robin is she's like done with school. She left. She was there for a semester. She'll be with the pre spirit, assuming she signs and all that's taken care of. She will have a. She'll be in camp right away. Um, the rest of the picks, you know, some go back for the spring season to compete for the championship. Then they'll go to NWSL teams. Because, you know, they're doing the Challenge Cup and then the season will hopefully start in May, I think is what they said. And, but then some, you know, because the NCAA with the, the pandemic, track with me here as I go into some weird, not that weird, but they granted an extra year of eligibility for all athletes. So if you were a senior in the fall of 2020, you can play again, provided you have like the scholarship or you also just pay for your spot. And then the, the coach wants to keep you in the mix. Like you can play again in the fall. So some players have been like, and I don't know how long the NWSL draft rights actually go. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's complicated. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in, a, in a complicated year, it's even more complicated. Yes, but I, I do think bottom line, I liked, I, I liked what the Spirit did, although I can't remember each one of their picks aside from the, the, the first round picks I, were, I approved of. The, uh, I think the, the kid from Clemson was... She'll, she's a little bit like Avery Collins for me, a little bit out of the blue, um, just because she she her the goal her goal scoring dried up towards the end of her collegiate career. Mariana Speckmeyer, not the nitpicker, but um, so I'm I'm interested to see how they kind of view her and see what she does if she if she sticks or not. Because again, she could be a player that says, well, I'm actually going to go back to school for another semester or another year or whatever. So, um, but the other four they grabbed from USC, Tara McCown, I think. Like I was saying, McCown, Robin, Sanchez, that's a pretty fun forward line. And if you have, you know, the, the defenders behind them, they can hopefully, you know, make stuff happen. Particularly as the rest of the league is bleeding to, to, to England. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. That's, that's true. a benefit. North, North Carolina looking, now that North Carolina is the only game in town uh, in that city now. I'll, I don't want to say that. The third divi- there's still a third division USL situation. League one, man. I, I apologize. I, I realize on this call, I have to be ex- extremely sensitive to that, to that situation. But anyway, yeah, I, I we're, uh, we're excited. We're, I would say we're equally excited for spirit this year. I, I think also we know that it's going to start on time. There is no labor strife uh, and there's the tournament, the, the cup again, which we really loved seeing last year. So I'm, I hope they hope they can present it in a similar way. And it's got the same sort of feel that it does last year. It definitely should, though. I think that the idea is to give themselves more of a runway while actually while keeping players safe, and then actually having games versus whatever it is the other professional sports are doing now and are about to do. So, 
Uh, I think it, it makes sense in some regards, but the other side of the news, so I said they have to really dig deep and say, we need to make our season longer because part of the reason and pay our players a little bit more because that's part of the reason why these players are leaving to go play in England or in right. France. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be something interesting to watch, especially as uh, you have a lot of European clubs that literally they, they don't care if they lose money or if the money's not there uh, for these, you know, women's teams and the a lot of the uh, uh, and it's not capped. Yeah, there's, it's not capped. There's no rules. Yep. And the NWSL is open, you know, the businesses, they need to make money. So I think that's going to be that's going to be something interesting to watch. And and U.S. soccer was able to get away with it because they mandated you play for NWSL if you sign a contract with us. Um, but we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens uh, in the future with that. So, uh, Travis, thank you so, so much for joining us. You're always, always a pleasure to have you on around this time. Um, he looks like he's about ready to fall asleep. <laughs> but uh, th- thanks no. for joining us, man. What's that? I'm, I'm dialed in, man. He's that's his, that's his pontificating face. He was he was getting ready to to plug uh, his his periodical. That's what he was about to do before. <laughs> uh, so where where Travis? Where can we find your the rest of your uh, MLS uh, draft, whatever you call it, mock draft? Uh, we'll have a uh, more more coverage on topdoorsoccer.com throughout the week. I'll have a little bit of stuff on MLSsoccer.com because I'm the only person they can hire who knows about it. And then uh, Twitter at Travis M Clark. If you don't follow me there already. You know what you should do is you should just set up your phone and do a Twitch stream for rounds two and three and just do a voiceover for the draft tracker. And you'll and I, I guarantee you, you will get a lot of people watching. People like me and Ted who are like, we're like, gonna miss the old days. Like 40, 40 Yeah, that's 40 what people, that's what we that's what we classify as major numbers. I don't know if you've seen our our libs in. We'd be happy with that. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Travis. Uh, we will uh, catch you down the line. Yeah, I'll see you in twenty twenty two. welcome back to the arc here refugee podcast uh travis clark always a pleasure to have him on uh as i said he he knows more about this than we do so we bring him on every bring him on every year and he i think he jokes about he jokes about that but um yeah he does the he does the cycle man yeah he is he is a man in demand at this time we had to we had to juggle all, 13 of his engagements of other podcasts in the last two days. So <laughs> it's got to be we're interesting. Happy like, he made the time. Like it must be like sort of like you know we talk about him as sort of the 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 I, I said earlier Mel Kuyper is the Travis Clark of of the NFL. Uh, but it's got to be like weird to like juggle that type of schedule and like you know and, and I particularly because the re- because the rest of the year like no one's talking about college soccer yeah. on these podcasts. So he's he's like oh now you're calling me. Now you now, now you call me. I mean, he is he is. Trust me, I've seen him out at youth tournaments. I've seen him out and at a lot of different events. Um, he he is he is well traveled. Let's just say, and he is he is watching fourth division German soccer exactly on a Saturday morning. Exactly. All right, uh, but let's uh, let's talk a little bit more, Coach. I, I feel like the news just keeps on flying. Um, the the team granted him interviews to both Pablo Maurer at the Athletic and to uh, Stephen Goff. Uh, very very. So Steve, uh, Pablo Maurer was like, I'm just going to do a straight up interview. View. I'm going to just ask questions. I'm going to have his answers right there. Uh, Stephen Goff was more, look, work, wrote more of a story. I think that's sort of the difference between Stephen Goff, a Washington Post reporter, and Pablo Maurer, who writes for The Athletic. Um, so uh, I think that's what you wanted to dive into next, correct? I do. Yep. I just wanted to basically uh, talk about the highlights here um, from both of these interviews. Uh, basically, uh, big takeaways, he really wanted to come to MLS. Uh, he, has a, he, has a, he has a view of the league as a 
uh, a growth a growth league and has the potential to become in a short term one of the five biggest leagues in the world. He's been talking to Don Garber on that one. Um, uh, he was he I, he knew I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, I think it was Yele Van Dam uh, from at LA Galaxy was uh, a was a friend of his, and that's when he started paying attention to MLS. Um, and he was seeing that it was a real opportunity somewhere he wanted to end up. And he thinks that the coaching, the, the level of coaching is high, the player level is high, and uh, it was, I think, really important. The two things that matter most in the Pablo interview that I think we want to focus on are what he what what he thinks he's going to have uh, of influence on the roster this year. It seems very much like he's saying, this is a year to to get our feet under us. And you know, I'll be, I'll be, I'll talk to Dave about it, and we'll we'll talk. But like, I think he very much like as we said on the podcast on Monday, uh, the the build is next year. The build is the build, and the and the, the real the serious investment is next year. And it's about what can you get out of the players this year. And then the last thing, the quote that sort of made the rounds today, uh, was saying that he would rather win every game five to four than one zero. Uh, we need to not forget the supporters go to the stadium to be entertained, and we need to entertain them. Results are important, and we'll do our best to get both, which is like basically whispering in our ears exactly what we wanted to hear. <laughs> in fact, exactly what we said uh, we wanted to hear. If he, he gets it, if you ever played those like those like old management games, like th- that's the type of question that you select, and like I don't know, I don't know what the owner ownership, you know, up or down, but like the fan score just like goes up, and it's like yes. you're, you are now you're <laughs> like hearing hearing those uh, hearing those types of things. Uh, that that's the option of of I'm, I'm gonna go crazy and 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 come along for this ride. Like I said, man, you yeah, hey hey Lasada, if you're listening, and, and and I'm pretty sure you're not. Um, you know, the bar is now set, my friend. I want every game five four, or uh, otherwise I'm going to be disappointed. So you did that, not me. I I, I wanted to give you a chance. Maybe you come in. Maybe oh no, I'll be more pragmatic. You know, I want us to I want us to defend well, also attack and 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 everything uh, and everything like that. So uh, yeah, man, you set the bar. That that was you, man. Now every game five four. I'm going to be at every podcast after every game. If we if they ever give me quite like, hey, why wasn't this game five four? Come on. And Lasada even actually draws in in the Goff interview that he he knows and 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 his conversations with uh, his his new bosses is that they spent a lot of money in the last couple of years on facilities and he brought up and he brought up the facility in Loudon uh, and he brought up the two stadiums so they the, clearly they talk the, uh, the 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 missives have been given on high about that to sort of explain why he's not going to be able to spend ten million dollars this year or or who knows how long but anyway uh, he the the process moved extremely quickly. I think we knew that, but I think it wasn't exactly clear how soon it was. Uh, it appears to have taken four days. Uh, after a two-hour Zoom call, Casper uh, and Stuart Mayers were like, yep, this is this is the guy. we got to do this. Um, he met with ownership two days later. They had the job offer uh, out, and then the deal was done this weekend. And, very, very fast. And I had an opportunity. Um, I'm going to go ahead and plug the uh, – I, I probably the only time – I was actually very curious if they talked to any Chris Durkin because they talked about uh, St. Trudent and uh, – St. Trudin, I'm gonna, I think that's the only thing I'm going to say uh, for Kurt, Chris Durkin currently plays. Uh, so talked a little bit about him, but they also did talk about this move, uh, and they were actually they were very uh, on this podcast. They were very surprised that this move happened. Um, I think their opinion of MLS, I think, was a little dated. I'll say that they said, "Oh, I don't know if he thinks he can go and be a coach." And you know, oh, I've plenty of coaches haven't done well, and I'm like, oh, that's a little bit of a, a myth now. There are plenty. 
there are at least a couple coaches now that have come here and have grown and you know it's not it's not the uh it's not the doldrum it used to be as far as hiring and you know coaches would come and you know Rudula didn't get any offers after right. after after his after his stint um only announcing jobs yeah correct uh, so, uh, other 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 sort of big things to look at. Chad Ashton and Zach, Zach Thornton appear to be staying on staff. Uh, we knew they were under contract, but maybe we thought they were going to get the Ben Olsen treatment and like consult on interior design. Uh, but it appears that they will actually continue their job as uh, field uh, uh, part of the coaching staff, which I think is interesting and uh, important to call out. Uh, he 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 drew out his excitement in working with young players with, with the young players here, which I think, again, we talked about on the show, how important that was going to be and how basically uh, he's going to have to, <laughs> he's going to have to be excited about that. And he's going to have to make them uh, the center of developing those players so that they can be eventually sold. I, I thought it was interesting that he kind of, he, he brought those players up specifically. He didn't talk about Edison Flores. He didn't talk about Pariola. He didn't talk about those types of players. He basically, zeroed in on on those uh those young guys that that the team has just signed um so i thought that was uh i thought that was that was interesting um and 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 something as something I, I like to see i think that's what we talked about we want to we want to start being a team that develops maybe some young talent if we're not going to spend let's let's do that and then we can be exciting as well so um it'll be it'll be uh it'll be fun to see for sure so um, yeah, I think that's all we wanted to do. Maybe a quick, quick little segue from our from our segment on Travis Clark. Uh, and uh, thank you all so so much for listening. You guys got two episodes this week. Boom. Two episodes. Two episodes. This is the one thirty. This is the one thirty point five episode. I don't know. Yeah. We haven't come up with the title yet. We'll see. I don't know. We went forty minutes. I feel like this may just be an episode. <laughs> I'm gonna do the point. I'm, I think I'm keeping it like week by week. Doing <sighs> the point. So fine, fine, fine. Anyway, enjoy the guy. Enjoy the draft, you guys, and we will catch you guys next week. Vamos, vamos. vamos.